we're all just striving to be like less wrong than we were before, you know? (laughs) And uh, it leads itself to then it's polar opposite of, you know, it's the Napoleon complex of a profession. No, the right way to move is like this and like that and like that and like that and like that because it's actually like an expression of the lack of faith. Like, you know, again, something to hold on to. Mm. Uh, And not to say that we shouldn't strive for these things. Like it shouldn't just all be like this random chaotic whatever because then you never get anything done or nothing becomes reproducible. Mm. There are definitely things that we can learn from trying to examine and analyze experience for sure. But I think where that strong culture of like, no, we've fill in the blank camp has this all figured out Mm -hmm. because I think everybody in the profession, both medical and fitness oriented, feels this deep sense of, lack underneath because of how young we are. Welcome to This Thing Called Movement, a podcast exploring the medium of movement and looking into how it has the capacity to transform not only our physical bodies, but potentially every other facet of our lives. I'm your host, Marie Janicek, a movement guide here to help people find their own unique and authentic relationship to movement through creativity, curiosity, and self-expression. Join me as I dive into deep conversations with a wide variety of individuals from many different fields and backgrounds. Together, we'll gain insight into their own unique movement experiences, the transformations that resulted, and how movement has affected their lives at large. I hope these recorded conversations will inspire and empower you to find your own unique movement journey in your life, in your own way. Hello, everyone. Today on the podcast, I'm bringing on Dr. Matthew Tolstoy. Matthew is a doctor of acupuncture and Chinese medicine, a hypnotherapist, and he is also currently working as the strength coach for the New York City Ballet. Matthew and I met during our time at Equinox, and I am so thrilled he came on to the podcast to have this conversation with me. We dug into a lot of different points that are very rich points of interest for me, I would say. One of my favorite nuances of this conversation was talking about the power of one's voice and how the sound of a voice and how we express ourselves through our voice can actually be a profound form of expression, authenticity, harmony, and trust within oneself. We also discuss the sort of difficulties the professions of fitness and rehabilitations are undergoing right now, as they are both very young industries that are still gaining their own momentum and understanding of what they offer to people. And one of my favorite things that we ended up wrapping up this conversation with was the importance of being free to let joy come through, whether that's in a movement practice, whether that's in your rehabilitative practices or in any other arena of your life. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. We did talk a lot about movement and the body, but this was one where we got to really take those threads of movement and pull them into the other areas of our lives and show everybody, both ourselves and the listeners here, how movement has such a profound effect everywhere else. I hope you guys enjoy listening to this episode as much as I did recording it. So in the meantime, go ahead and just sit back, relax, and let this conversation wash over you.
So Matt, you want to take it away? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just started my health career at Equinox back when I had first moved to New York. That was my first time like working with people, mm. you know, on their health in that capacity. And it was, uh, that was sort of the landmark experience for me in terms of being like, oh, I really am inspired by this kind of experience. I had never really been inspired by medicine or health or wellness in a personal experience before. So I didn't even really know what was out there in terms of like how that could change your life when you mm. get plugged in with somebody who really um, shows you a different realm of your experience. And so the time at Equinox really was the thing that started the engine of wanting to work in healthcare uh, in a sort of wider capacity. So that's when I knew I wanted to go back to school. That's how I ended up at Chinese med school. And then, yeah, through that experience, just combining the movement practices with these other um, therapies, these other medical avenues, that's also what, you know, is bizarre of a connection as it is eventually led me to do the whole hypnotherapy thing because um, in principle they're all the same thing in execution they're very different mm -hmm. the methods are very different but they're very much aligned in sort of their guiding principles well at least when you have clearly defined principles yeah. as to what you're doing um, then it makes it easier to pull from a certain tool as opposed to having the tool define your principle you know, oh, yeah. such a brilliant way of putting it. Mm. So what has actually been your journey with movement? If you can take us through all the ways you've interacted with movement from your childhood until now, mm. like, and what led you where and why? We want to know all those details <laughs> <Okay>. here. <laughs> um, well, as like my mom always loves to um, tell people, like I was a very, very, very high energy child, um, like literally this is a very real story. I have seen the evidence. Like my mom and grandmother put bells on my shoes <laughs> because they would like they would like turn around and like put a dish away and then not know where I was. I was right there and then I was gone. And then I had like climbed in the dryer and like put my hand and like burned myself. So my parents went like, what the hell am I gonna do with this kid? Like, what are we gonna do? And my grandmother was like, I got it bells on the <laughs> shoes so it was that kind of vibe like i was just running around all the time super physical high energy um you know my parents were both like physical athletic people like mm. my mom was a gymnast all the way through college and everything and so there was just like a fostering of like a lot of physical exploration intelligence you know intuit intuition things like that it was just i had a lot of energy and I had to like discharge somehow mm. and so for me it was just it was a lot of physical energy as a kid so i played a lot of sports um, you know, just growing up, that was like a big thing for me. Um, in high school, it kind of changed a bit. Um, I shifted sports a bit. I started getting more involved in creative stuff, uh, music and performance. And then um, um, I ended up, I don't know if we've ever spoken about this, but I ended up going to Syracuse University and I have a, a bachelor's in fine arts and acting from Syracuse University. Oh my gosh, we have uh, We've never spoken about, about this. Oh my God, we're, we're going to talk about this <laughs> New right conversation. Now. New conversation. But um, yeah, so I, how I ended up at Syracuse was... Um, quite by accident, because I was not the most uh, organized college applicant. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Like I did okay in school and I did, you know, activities and stuff, but it wasn't like, I'm going to be yeah, a doctor. I'm going to be, uh, you know, whatever. Um, that thing I knew again, like I knew principally what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to work with people, but I had no idea how that execution was going to take place. And so my uh, performing arts teacher in high school, we had, it was kind of a dictatorial relationship with the students. <laughs> and she was like, you're going to audition for schools. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. She's like, yeah, you are. And so our, the compromise was, she was like, listen, you should go to Syracuse, you should audition. They have a very good program. And if you get in, you should think about it. Huh. And like somehow, like I got in and they gave me like money to go and then it became this like practical option. <laughs> Somehow and so, they gave you money too. They did. I mean, <laughs> well, the money thing made it a little <laughs> bit better because it was like, it, you know, trying to go on this like ridiculous adventure, um, you know, to the tune of like a billion dollars versus not a billion dollars, mm. you know, makes it a little bit more reasonable. So how I ended up making that choice was I hadn't been inspired by something else yet. Like it wasn't like, mm, do I want to do the whole performing thing or do I want to do accounting? Like mm, what's in my heart? Like I hadn't been grabbed by medicine yet. So I realized if you don't go, you will wonder for the rest of your life, what will it have, what would it have been like mm. if you went and had this wild, 
you know, totally non-traditional experience. Um, and so that's what made me decide to go. And so that obviously continued the movement expression in a very different way. You know, we had to take tons of movement and voice and voice in the body classes. I had to take like an intro ballet class. That was oh, a tough wow. time for me. Um, a, a body shaped by like contact and combat sports my whole life, like showing up in a ballet class. You can imagine <laughs> how that went for me. Um, so yeah, so, so lots of uh, restructuring how movement just uh, related to, to me as, a, as both a professional um, I guess you could say aspiring professional artist, like expressive person, mm -hmm. as well as the human aspect of it. Um, and that's how I ended up in New York. I mean, I never would have moved to New York otherwise. Um, I moved with a bunch of friends and showed up in New York and um, got my personal training certification right before I arrived because I was like, I'm going to, you know, I my, my whole life before that I had worked in like construction and chemical factories and landscape stuff you can't like easily do uh. in the city as like a support job. So that's how I got into personal training. But then it very quickly realized like I was just so much more inspired by working with people on that front rather than like responding to the notice to go in for Kyle White 22 in a play about feelings. Like, you know, I just didn't want to be, it just didn't want to be Kyle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and there's tons of people who want to be and they totally should. It just didn't feel right. Cause it was like, Hey, do you want to be in this role? You know, in this play with this girl about whatever. And I was just like, I don't like, I just really don't. What I, I couldn't, the way I would describe it, I couldn't get off the couch for that, but I could mm -hmm. get off the couch to go spend time with somebody who was teaching me about, you know, whatever it was in terms of movement quality and helping people. And, and you have enough of those experiences to realize like, this is the thing that actually um, lights me up versus mm. the other thing. So uh, that's in a nutshell, my movement history from <laughs> birth <laughs> until, until this now. moment. Well, there, um, there's something really yeah. fascinating that came up in there. And it's actually this whole thing around going to Syracuse to like do an acting program yeah. right, or theater. Um, because the way you described making that decision, it's so unique compared to, I think, how I was raised to make decisions. Uh, everybody around me was raised to make decisions, which is like, what is practical? Like, what is forward thinking in terms of where you want to be, where you think you're going, and, and what's going to be the simplest, most efficient way to get you there? <laughs> and so uh, to hear that you actually had this, like, opportunity come through that you weren't really looking at, and you figured, like, well, when else, like, am I going to just dive into something completely unknown and just see how it shapes me? I've never heard of a person going into college like that or even selecting to go into college like that and I I just wanted to comment on how unique that is mm -hmm. and, and I would actually like to kind of hear a little bit more about the rationale like what oh, yeah. what about the acting program at Syracuse was drawing you in mm -hmm. and what about it made it feel like an experience that you really just wanted to yeah to um, have? well well I think what it was is the strongest factor was definitely that there was definitely a vacuum at that time in my life. It was like nothing else has shown up. This kind of bizarre opportunity to go to a, you know, pretty well recognized BFA program shows up and they're like, here you go. Do you want to do it? And in the absence of anything else, it made it a lot easier to take it seriously. Um, I think what kept me there, because it was a very painful time for me, mm. it was very difficult, because mm. um, it just felt like I was undercover the whole time. You know, mm. there were people who had who were there who had figured their whole life, I want to do this, and I'm so committed, and I'm so driven, and it's such an intense experience. And I just kind of was there like, do I even want to do this? Like, ugh. No, no. And, um, but I'm faking it, you know what I mean? <laughs> and And when you know that you're faking it for long enough, like, that shit hurts, you know, after mm. a while. So it was difficult, but I never thought of leaving. I never thought of leaving. And so I think intuitively something in my unconscious knew that it was going to be a very helpful experience for me. And it totally was. Looking back in terms of what I learned about communication and people and behavior and all these things that I use um, with people, you know, across the table in the treatment room were all very real practical things that I learned from the Syracuse experience. And so I think it was just more of an in an intuitive thing that that drew me there where on the conscious level it was like well I'll probably regret this if I don't go um, it's a decent opportunity to go to a good school um, with a little bit of financial help 
Um, and so on the conscious level, that was kind of it mm. to like my 18 year old self. But again, why didn't you leave? Why did, why did you stick it out? All these other questions once you got there and it was, you know, just hard, um, I think was, it just kind of felt like it was hard work, but for a good reason, as opposed to just, you know, not all suffering produces, you know, the result that you're looking for. Like yeah. not all of it is useful, um, but it felt like suffering that was useful. Um, <laughs> Uh, for sure. That's probably the best I can come to explaining my, my rationale at the time. No, I think that's pretty interesting. And I'm just also thinking about what I know about actors and acting programs. It's a it's a practice that is so entrenched in physicality, right? Like actors actually, you even were mentioning this earlier, there's so much movement protocol that goes into acting. It's it's such a huge part of it. So how did that for change or shape your understanding of your body and, mm. and your relationship to movement while in that program? Yeah, um, it was wild because I was such, I still am, but even more so as an adolescent, just like so painfully, painfully shy <laughs> and like locked up. Um, it was, I think, I think that's sort of like where like my explosive physicality in terms of like, you know, the sports that I was really good at were like, you know, like football and pole vaulting and martial arts and stuff like that. Things that require lots of like springy explosion, which is probably the polarity that's formed by being like so um, shielded from the rest of the world, mm. you know, that way. Um, actually, one of my very favorite acting teachers at Syracuse, uh, Jerry Clark, she said to me, she was like, she found out somehow, I forget how this even happened, but she found out that I was a pole vaulter and was like really into it. She's like, anybody who takes like a 15 foot fi like fiberglass pole and flings himself through the air has the desire for something to be like sprung out of them. You know what oh, I mean? Wow. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so I think that's where that polarity of movement came from. And so, so then exploring that in a more intentional way of feeling like, what are the ways in which I'm trapped in my physical body? Um, I went through this huge thing I mean, for, for years and years and years with my voice about feeling so painfully like trapped in my voice, like literally physical tension through like the floor of the mouth and the root of the tongue and like around the larynx, just like such like gripping, gripping, gripping. Because, you know, the voice is um, the voice is such an intimate part of who you are. You know what I mean? Like nobody sounds like exactly like you and the colors of your voice are very revealing when you let it be that way. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's uh, it's tough. And when, you know, um conditioning gets in there and shuts you down and you have to undo that stuff. And, and a lot of that was a, a revelatory experience in terms of understanding how the body and now flashing forward to the work that I do now, how the body houses trauma, how the body houses emotionality, how the body houses all kinds of things um, that the unconscious mind just, you know, puts there. Or not even just like in a hiding way, like, oh, I'm going to hide this away. But just like, again, if you do believe um, in the body-mind continuum as a singular unit, not as like two units that operate together, but as a continuum of one unit, like things in the body are just expressions of what's going on. Not even like, ooh, I hid something in my, you know, lower back that I didn't want to face, but just like my arm and shoulder girdle will move a certain way when I feel a certain way in the world. You know, like yeah. it's it's that the nervous system and is so sensitive on that front. And then of course chronic things become, you know, more driven inside of the body. But the acting Syracuse experience was my first um dive into that and to and then and then also to experience that from the inside out mm. you know firstly because you think you know there's a lot of therapists out there um physical therapists or otherwise that work in this way with people or appreciate that but um sometimes it's like what you go to weekend workshops or you go to like some continuing education to work with people on that front without yeah. really spending I mean, you know, we spent like hundreds of hours in like, you know, you know, voice movement acting class that is all about just like poking the bear, you know, like, why mm. is that stuck? What's in mm. there? What's in there? What's in there? And you learn like, what's too much? What's not enough? When are you faking it? Um, where is the line of what are you ready to cut loose? What are you not ready to cut loose? And I think um, having that experience from the inside out for many a triple digit number of hours at least I <laughs> yeah. think is especially as a young adult very helpful rather than mm. trying to make it to 30 and then backload all that work just because yeah. suddenly now you appreciate it I mean you get there when you get there but I feel very fortunate I think that goes with like the unconscious 
intuitive feeling of like, yes, this is good for me. Mm. I mean, this will serve whatever it is that I'm going to do, whatever that ends up being, whether it's acting or otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like one of the things I was catching on to is like the, the function of the throat, right? The timing of the musculature of the throat and um, the larynx and all that stuff to create your voice and to create that authentic sound. And it's a totally different way of moving and living and breathing in your body when you're actually trying to tap into that. Um, It's actually so correlated, I feel, with actually feeling at home in your body Mm -hmm. and and feeling confident in your body. And uh, I remember always picking up on this as a young teenager into college that I could tell whether or not I felt connected to somebody based off of voice. Always, always, always. And nobody else seemed to notice it. But if somebody's voice was grating to me, I I could just hear that they weren't taking ownership of an element of themselves. And it really bothered me. And I I think now as an adult, I'm realizing I've just been way more sensitive to that aspect. Mm. Because for me, my voice was always my place of connection to a sense of harmony and trust within myself. Um, perhaps more so than it is for other people. But because of that, I was always very sensitive to the sound of people's voices. And I found that people I ended up really appreciating in my life and wanting in my life had like beautiful voices I loved hearing. And if I didn't like somebody's voice, chances were I didn't really like spending time with that person either. And so it's such an interesting connection to see how the movement of, all that musculature that creates sound from within us is actually correlated to so much more in like that subconscious sense of feeling steady and authentic and comfortable being you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, instantaneously, um, when you hear somebody speak, when you hear somebody express themselves, like you either believe them or you don't. Yeah. And even, and not that it's necessarily any of our, um positions to be like oh they're lying because somehow i know (laughs) i just know like i don't believe you yeah that's truthful because i'm not saying you're lying i'm not saying like oh well maybe you actually feel a different way but it's go like you know you listen to people and the people who probably make you feel weird with their voices not necessarily i mean listen and listen i hate yoga voice i hate yoga voice (laughs) because that shit's just as fake Uh, when somebody doesn't own it you know what i mean that's just as grating on me as somebody who has whatever you want to like the like valley girl inflection like (laughs) no it's definitely it has nothing to do with the actual raw sound it has to do with like how much of that person is in the vibration of the folds Mm -hmm. you know and um you're either going to believe somebody or not. And the people you believe put you at ease. And the people you don't, you go like, like, cause I have to work a little harder. I got to be like, is that real? Is that not real? And again, I don't try to like come across the table and tell people what they really think or really feel or anything like that. Cause I don't know. I don't know, but I do know my experience. Like, wow, I, like, I just don't, I just don't immediately trust that person. Mm, you know what I mean? Cause mm-hmm. they're either, it feels like they're either lying to me or they're lying to their self to me about something. And either way, it makes me feel that. <laughs> um, but again, I'm wrong all the time. I'm always willing to be wrong about stuff, but you can't deny how you feel, you know, when somebody yeah. talks to you and you know, instantly the same way that when somebody touches you, you know, immediately like what the deal is. If you, you know, listen uh, mindfully enough, you know, it's, it's all about that intuitive connection to what, your body is telling you, right? Like those signals that we always have and are always getting, but many people learn how to shut down or we're kind of conditioned into shutting those down. And I love looking back at different moments in my life where like I bypass those signals and then like to reflect back and think, oh, my body knew better than my mind. That seems to always be true. Time to wise up, Marie. (laughs) Time to listen a little more. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for real. Yeah. Well, uh, that was a fun little rabbit hole we (laughs) threw ourselves down. Uh, So one of my favorite things to ask people is uh, what their unique perspective is on movement and how would they define it? Like Mm. what it means to them. Sure. So what would your answer be? (laughs) Um, For me, like what is movement? Um, I hate this answer right off the bat because it's just like, (laughs) oh, but movement, movement for me is life. And I don't mean 
movement is life in the like Lululemon yoga tank top shirt version like of that statement. I mean that in the very real practical sense, like like what is the difference between a corpse and a living person is movement. And I mean movement of like 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 every, like on the cellular level you have cells that have you know protein receptors on the outside that sense the environment and then tell the dna to like respond a different way like like cause and effect and that's what drives behavior that's what drives instinct that's what drives everything is the the movement of of information and information whether that's you know all manner of sensory perception of internal external perception there something moves across something else mm-hmm. and um and then we respond to the best with the best you know strategy that we think is appropriate and so like i've come to see everything from whether it's my professional life how i work with people or even in my personal life how is this picture moving you know is something moving too fast is something moving too slow do we have movement in the wrong place everything you know everybody everything has its own nature shape way of existing in the world that characterizes its movement and its quality of movement and um that's a fractal it's built on other things and you know you just try to look at that's that's sort of i guess my unique relationship to movement is that like i try to see everything through the lens of movement not necessarily how i move my body but also you know you could think of it as i category you know I, with the hypnosis stuff i work with a lot of people with anxiety and depression and in um a very generic sense you could classify anxiety as like psychological energy that's just moving too fast and depression is psychological energy that's just moving too slow of course there's all variety of experience but you can kind of begin to categorize a thought architecture around just like you know what what's happening how is this person moving and does that fit their nature does that fit their a fundamental human nature we have things that are you know uh universal to us all in the human experience then also what about their constitution what is it that seems like it's about them their mm-hmm. how who they are and how they were raised and how they want to be in the world like does does that all line up well, how's that going for them and then and it can also be grossly physical like even something as simple as you know thyroid disease is your thyroids either moving too fast or moving too slow and of course it's way more complicated than that but that's kind of um the way that i relate and use movement as a lens to mm-hmm. to frame my experience yeah i i like to think of movement as this fabric or or maybe even as a technology that allows us to see the connection between all things because it is it is the in my opinion, it is the like ultimate connector, right? It is the thing that puts all of this stuff together, even, you know, non-living objects, even like dense, dense matter. It's, it is all still moving. It is all shifting. And, uh, you know, over the progression of time, there should be this continuous flow that, like you said, it's life. And it's always really fascinating to me to, see the way that we in sort of relate not just just our physical movement but if we can really understand that movement so much greater than that how like you said how we are moving through other ways in our lives whether it is your biology and like a specific issue you may be tackling whether it is your state of mind whether it is like course correcting in terms of where you want to be in your life and where you are it's it's all a function of movement. So that is like a really sophisticated definition. And I really appreciated <laughs> oh. it. Um, I even, I even like go a little further with movement. I, I like to, I like to think that when it comes to our physical bodies, and this is just kind of an idea I've been playing around with privately. So I'm going to share the, for the first time, um, Movement in some ways like allows us to shift energy within ourselves, especially when we're going into a physical movement practice. And the more we can open ourselves up to an awareness of that and then like specifically engage with specific things for the purpose of shifting specific energy or emotions or thoughts or uh, a sense of well-being or a certain state, then we can actually use movement in a much more... Uh, conscious and proactive way to create shifts in other parts of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, that's definitely the way that I think about um, treatment is because everything that you touch creates a certain type of movement inside you. So um, in my realm of experience, like 
acupuncture and certain types of acupuncture at certain points do certain things to the body. Obviously, herbal medicine, like different herbs, do things, create different types of movement inside you. Pharmaceutical drugs create certain types of movement inside of you. Um, the way that you have your own private movement practice, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. there's all the are things that move you in a certain way and everything that you interact with. Um, the environment you create for yourself, like all inspires, whether it's like a heavy handed change or whether it's just a subtle shift and change over time. Um, all of these sort of like are going to the central processing unit of who you are and then then help, you know, nudge your behavior in a certain way. Um, what you mentioned about like trying to find, you know, these these things that like, well, what if I brought this into the picture for this specific issue and how does it change the way that I move in relationship to it? I would say that like when, when people ask me, like, how did you like, how did you get into healthcare? Like, what was the experience that made you want to uh, do that for people? Obviously, the, the more direct answer is like, I worked at Equinox and then I wanted to do more. But if I think about the fundamental one, it was I had this period of time when I was 17 where just a bunch of things shifted for me at once. Um, it's when I stopped playing other sports, I started pole vaulting. So I was moving my body in a grossly different way. Um, I had gotten out of this, like my first, like really intense, tumultuous relationship. <laughs> the high and school. The ones. high school craziness, <laughs> like I, that had ended and I dated somebody who was just like completely different from who I was mm. and just like cracked me open in this oh, crazy no. way. That was wonderful. Um, I start. I like found my way to like a different type of like guitar playing that I really loved and was like revolutionizing the way that I thought about music and just like all these things happened at the same time and it was this like gross revolution of like who I was in the world and it was like oh whatever I do I want to facilitate that for other people but realizing that like moment to moment what inspires that change could be anything from rearranging your space mm -hmm. to uh, going and getting treatment or whatever the thing is, you know, but that all of these micro movements um, in all of its form, food, environment, psychosocial stuff, medical things, if that's your thing, uh, all culminate to, to, to work either in alignment or not mm -hmm. towards something that you want to do. But being more aware of, I think, all of those acute variables, not in like a neurotic kind of way, because you can go a little overboard. And I mm -hmm. think we begin to overemphasize the importance of some of the things that maybe are a little under the radar. But I think overall, being more aware of how things move you um, is, is a radically different way to, to relate to your experience, for sure. Yeah. And What's coming up as you're saying all this is the thought of how important it is to own your own individual experience with movement, because I think it's very easy to want to do things the right way and the best way. And I've fallen prey to that so many times. It's not that like, you know, I'm free of that, but it's it's something I, I observe a lot when it comes to physical movement practices. It's come, something I observe all the time, even when it comes to like taking care of ourselves, taking care of our bodies, whether it is through sleep, relationship, food, you know, all the stuff that we need to be like healthy, fulfilled, coherent beings that, you know, aren't lashing out and freaking out and collapsing in on ourselves all the time. Um, but to like really allow yourself the autonomy and the ownership to allow your choices with movement, whatever kind of movement you're working with uh, on all different levels, to truly be your own and to be born out of your own seeds of inspiration and curiosity or uh, excitement versus letting somebody else dictate or tell you what's right, right for you. Yeah. Um, oh. Ah, there's so uh, yeah, there's so much of that, particularly in the in the physical movement space, in fitness, in fitness, <laughs> in, 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 you know, in rehab and all of that. I think the root of it is is how how young both professions are, both mm. the fitness profession as well as the rehabilitative profession. Um, just in you know, uh, personal trainers and physical therapists or movement specialists didn't even like exist you know, however many decades we can go back, you know, it's just not that long. So I think there is this deep collective, ins vastly insecure unconscious that exists in the oh. entire professions of just like, because we realize nobody knows what they're doing for real. We have guidelines that, that help and we've definitely learned over time and have refined a process. But I think we all know that like, 
we're all just striving to be like less wrong than we were before, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, it leads itself to then it's polar opposite of, you know, it's the Napoleon complex of a profession. No, the right way to move is like this and like that and like that and like that and like that because it's actually like an expression of the lack of faith. Like, you know, again, something to hold on to. Uh, and not to say that we shouldn't strive for these things. Like it shouldn't just all be like this random chaotic whatever because then you never get anything done or any, and nothing becomes reproducible. Mm. There are definitely things that we can learn from trying to examine and analyze experience for sure. But I think I think where that strong culture of like, no, we've fill in the blank camp has this all figured out mm -hmm. because I think everybody in the profession, both medical and fitness oriented, um, feels this deep sense of, lack underneath because of how young we are that yeah. i've never heard somebody describe it that way but that really resonates with me mm -hmm. and i hadn't actually thought of it myself um but it makes so much sense because you see everybody vying to place themselves in the role of expert as quickly as possible and then you see a lot of contradictions and you see a lot of headbutting right like oh like well if you're doing that like you're you're absolutely like stupid and ridiculous because that is just plumb wrong and then the other side does that too and uh i feel that Actually, a lot of what I'm even trying to do with these interviews is to like open perspective and be like, there's nothing that's wrong. There's nothing that's good or bad. It all just depends on the context, right? Mm -hmm. The context is the most vital component. So if you have like a clear rationale and reason why you're engaging with something and it's anchored in something true to you, then great. You know, if you want to be doing CrossFit because like it makes you feel like a beast and that's when you like are out there doing your thing to the best of your capacity, like awesome. But if you're doing it because everyone says it's the way to lose weight and get strong and it's the smartest thing out there and you hate it and you force yourself to go, that's a very different conversation. And it's it's fascinating because I it's very rare to see people in the fitness industry be collective and inclusive and actually be willing to support each other because there is that Napoleon complex. Nobody said that, but I think it's like so yeah. on the nose of everybody trying to win out with their system, with their methodology. And I find I'm always gravitating towards people who don't think that way. You know, I've, I've actually, we've talked about this um, in the course of several other interviews with other people, this concept of how, how we can create more synergy within these, uh, within these worlds, even I think between movement practices, whether it's rehab or training or, and medicine, which you're clearly doing as like the embodiment of those worlds. But that's another area I would love to see grow more in cross communication and um, yeah, cross communication. Mm -hmm. I think that's the best word. Yeah, for sure. Um, the, the insular nature of both industries is uh, really tough to crack. Um, uh, it's really tough to crack. Um, even getting people to sort of use a common language, not to force everybody into a box, but to even be like, do I understand what this person's even, you know, trying to execute or not? Like it, it becomes pretty labor intensive because of, again, we're all just trying to break new ground and figure things out and go mm -hmm. from there. But how you engage with that um, variability uh, it can can also be very variable. You know, you yeah. can either resist it or you can either um, embrace it. Mm. And um, yeah, more cross communication, more um, just you know. I think uh, the way that I the way that I phrase it is like in health and medicine, whatever. You're never going to be right, but the best you can strive to be is reasonable. You know, mm. somebody may not agree with your choices or your this or your that or your programming or your intervention or whatever. But if you're at least like, well, it's it's at least a reasonable choice. I can kind of understand it. I think that's the best you're going to get. Yeah. You know what I mean? Nobody's going to be like, oh, that was right. Because the only thing that determines rightness or wrongness is just, you know, did you get the result that you were looking for or something equal or greater to that? Mm. You know, if somebody didn't change in the way that was desirable, um, oh, we missed it. You know what I mean? No matter how reasonable or if you want to be, you know, right, no matter how, what the research says, no matter what the camp says, no matter what whoever says, if it still didn't produce a desirable or greater than desirable perceived result when you're working with somebody, um, we missed it. You know, mm. I mean, and being ruthlessly honest with yourself about like, did we miss it or not? 
Mm. Um, and that's what's tough. I think that's another thing that contributes to wanting to grab onto all of this like finite stuff because to be able to face repeatedly over and over and over again, like I missed it, I missed it, I missed it in the quest of dynamically working with another living complex human being um, is a lot to go through. You know, it's, it's a lot to take on the chin, you know, yeah. and I think a lot of people are unwilling to do that um, because it's painful. It's painful to work with people. It's incredibly joyous, but that's the cover charge. Yeah. You know what I mean, to, to be able to enter into that space when somebody is their most vulnerable. Um, mm. You just have to, you just have to do it. You have to do it. You have to take it. You know? Yeah. It's, uh, this is reminding me of one of our previous conversations about, you know, what really allows for these successful results to come through, like where your reasonable actions led to the result that people are looking for has so much to do at the, with the dynamics of the connection at play between um, practitioner and client. And I know you talk about this when, in reference to your work with acupuncture, that in some ways it's kind of like hijacking into the subconscious, finding the place that the body is going to be led in to believe everything's okay. And that's where the treatment actually occurs, yeah. but it's not really the set principle that is going to work every single person because everyone's a unique matrix that needs to be navigated a completely new way and it's it's been so interesting as a trainer to go into it believing initially that there was going to be rules that just like always worked and then finding that was absolutely not the case <laughs> uh, much to my uh, dismay but there was something really beautiful in that too of, of understanding it is not a science at, at, like at its heart, I don't think any of this body work we do because it's relational. It's not a science. It's an art. And it comes down to like being able to create those authentic connections and and find places where people are are willing to work in tandem with you. And that that synergy has to be there on both ends, because if that's not there as a basis, like change does not happen. It, it, it is just as complex as, you know, choosing a life partner. To, to like be with your entire life and or like a business partner it, it is it is that level of complexity and I wonder if people really take that to heart when they're considering these sorts of partnerships yeah. I wonder <laughs> I, it's tough no I bet that most don't because mm -hmm. it's not put into um cultural awareness it, it's treated um as a commodity like anything else, like I'm purchasing an experience, whether it's a training experience, whether it's I'm purchasing the experience of being rid of my back pain or my anxiety or, or whatever they're coming to a medical provider for, like they're, it's, it's treated like an item um, or an experience that has been itemized mm -hmm. um, rather than uh, a more dynamic process, which is again, admittedly messier and more complicated and more, daunting in some cases not always but the thought of it on the front end is kind of daunting sometimes once you get going you're like oh it's really not that bad i just have to kind of be more aware of these things and how are we doing these are and this is what when you're matched with a good person mm -hmm. that's the whole point is to help guide you through this process of being like hey what do you think we should pay attention to these are our markers are like are we going in a helpful direction or not um that helps simplify the process for the individual but i think on the front end most people come to the experience thinking that it's this singular thing i'm buying some sort of object whether it's a abstract object or a literal object like um it's a thing like mm -hmm. a, a separate individual <laughs> thing whether it's physical or not that i'm that i'm getting as opposed to a relational experience mm -hmm. um, and that that's yeah that's a big shift in the culture of how people think about um working with somebody on that capacity and even working with themselves yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh so this actually is kind of a perfect lead-in to another favorite question of mine, which is, what has been the greatest gift that movement has given you? And there may be more than one, so if there are, feel free mm -hmm. to share all of them. Sure. Um, I would say that um, the two that come to mind are the things that we've, the things that we've touched on a bit, like having this thought architecture around movement being like primary lens that I perceive my experience through um, has just been very helpful because it makes sense to me and helps sort of categorize my experience of both in my personal life as well as 
professionally when I'm working with somebody to just see things as spinning, moving parts and what's going too fast to what's going too slow and mm. what would perhaps be a better complement to somebody's nature or what's the goal? What are we working on? What kind of movement do we need to get there? Um, that was was a, a revolutionary change in the way that I sort of categorized the vast complexity of the living experience, which can seem, you know, fragmented and non-congruent and whatever. It's 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 a container that allows for all of that to exist. Mm -hmm. It allows for dichotomy. It, it allows for opposite things to exist at the same time and the pain of that. Um, it allows for all of those things that, for me at least, in my own perceptive experience, feels natural or feel I feel at peace with. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it can hold the space for being like, oh, that's uncomfortable or oh, that's painful. Mm -hmm. um, the other way is, again, what, what the gift that it gave me from what we talked about at Syracuse, like um, helping me move my body in different ways that then help move your psychosocial self in a different way that then help you you know, um, not hold on to stuff, mm -hmm. you know, um, not have things that have been trying to go or gave up on going a long time ago, just like sit stagnant in your body. Like, how do you use and learn to use movement and be aware that movement can help move that out? You know, um, that's incredibly helpful. I, I didn't really, didn't really have any awareness of that before that experience of it happening to me and going through that together um, with everybody that I experienced that with at Syracuse, mm. um, which is a tremendous gift to know that, um, you know, that the, it's just all, it's all in there, you know, yeah. in the body. And um, it's not something necessarily to be afraid of. Um, it's just to be recognized and um, approached when you're ready. Um, and not all of it is like deep, crazy, heavy shit. Like it's also just like some people have, most people actually, to go on this little side tip, most people have the toughest time being free um, to let joy come through. Yes. You know I mean, anybody yes. can like rub yes. your back and then you like have a big meltdown and like everybody's like, oh, I'm so with you. You know, like that's easier for people. You know what I mean? Most of the time, like, but to actually like shake somebody out and try to have like pure joy, not some filtered shaped version of that come out really freaking hard for people. This has so. been like a big theme going on in my week <laughs> this week, like as I'm talking to people and even, even some of the thoughts I'm trying to share on my accounts on social media, it's like. People think they're moving towards happiness, but like at the end game, people actually really struggle with being able to embody happiness and feel happy or freedom. Like if you give them the opportunity to feel it, they won't. They'll stop themselves. And it's right there. It's right there all the time when like whenever you want to access it, but you don't. In fact, you are probably more comfortable sitting in your misery and your sense of unworthiness and lack of power like time and time again, people would rather be in those states because they're familiar with them. They're comfortable. And I find it so interesting because in my experience, if you're not willing to encounter that feeling of joy before some external thing shifts, like you're never actually going to get to the point where an external thing shifts. And I know that's very like spirituality based and kind of meta, but I've just seen that play into my life so many times. And I've also been able to see it with so many people I work with. Like if people, if people can't access that experience on some feeling sensory level before it happens, it does not happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, in terms of relating that to um, some of the work that we do with hypnosis is like uh, learning how the brain filters for things in your experience is wild because you have you know so much sensory information coming in all the time more than your conscious mind could ever be aware of right mm -hmm. like the studies are saying something like the conscious mind in a given moment can be aware of plus or like seven plus or minus two things in a given moment mm. but at the same time the bits of information coming in in terms of like the color of the things in your surrounding what do your clothes feel like on your body you know uh all of the sounds that are in the background that you are filtering out like there is all of this stuff coming in and there's a there's a very strong filter for what gets pushed out to your conscious mind and what doesn't and if you have no experience of of like unfiltered joy your brain in a very real way will learn to 
like downplay the things that don't match that because mm. it's like I have no receptor for that. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. not, I have taught myself not to filter for that. Um, and that's all that hypnosis really does. You know, like I don't really like telling people that I do hypnosis because we think of this very masculine dominant, like I'm going to incept an idea, mind control, when really integrative hypnosis is really just about like rewiring associations and how you filter for stuff and how you learn to filter um, and make associations with things that are that are just like better for you. Mm. Like how, how do we get a better deal for the way that you categorize your experience? Because it's all out there. Um, you just have a really strong filter for what gets to that seven plus or minus two conscious things. And um, the mind has a negative bias. It was very helpful in in the evolutionary biology of who we are as human animals. You know what I mean? Like, don't go over there. There's things that can eat you over there. Because remember, it <laughs> ate our friend the other day, right? Like, you know, or like that place is dangerous. Like that, that negative bias helped us survive for a long time. But just like anything else, like when it gets pushed too far, it eventually turns on you. And in the modern world where it's now rapidly not as helpful and maladaptive sure absolutely becomes a tremendously maladaptive strategy um and then so learning now to go the other way with evolution and be like okay actually um you know like in a very real way physical health vitality goes up we become more thriving prosperous people when we can retrain the filter to to focus on you know good grateful stuff um instead of you know perceived harm all the time yeah I mean, I've been through hypnosis therapy. Uh, I did it back in high school. I actually was getting a breathing test done because I was having trouble uh, performing on stage. I was like losing my vision. My legs were giving out after I would finish a two and a half minute performance in high school and we didn't know what was happening. Uh, I was being assessed for vocal cord dysfunction. And while I was getting that first test done, my jaw dislocated. I was in a hospital. They didn't know what to do. They couldn't put it back. So it was locked wide open. Couldn't speak, couldn't swallow, could only moan. And I was in like the worst pain of my life. I had to be transported by my mother two hours away via car to get to a specialist who could finally lock it back into place, unhook it from where it was stuck and drive it back into the joint. Um, And after that, I was dealing with these crippling headaches and I I couldn't really use the full range of motion in my mouth, like nothing felt stable, everything was tight and really locked down. So um, the same woman who'd been trying to get me through the vocal cord uh, dysfunction tests, she was not responsible for this, there was a nurse. (laughs) Um, But she suggested hypnosis therapy that she actually um, had been trained. And so I went through that. And for me, it was the most revelatory experience because I didn't feel like I was being controlled by somebody. It felt like I was being guided to take care of myself. Like uh, the way I can describe it is your subconscious is like this Grand Canyon. It's the Grand Canyon with like a river, right? So anytime a drop of water like starts somewhere, it's likely to go in that Grand Canyon. Like doesn't matter how hard you try to shift it somewhere else. Like it's predetermined. It's just going to go there. So the way I like to think of hypnosis, it's like someone took a heavy duty construction team and started carving out another option aside from the Grand Canyon so that when water drips, it's not always going down that one path anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have habits for everything. We have habits of eating, of moving, of whatever. We also have habits of feeling, you Mm -hmm. know, and when um, just like practicing anything else, learning to play the piano, learning a different language or whatever, like the more things are repeated, the more like the neural connections in your mind of like, oh, this thing happens. And then I think this and I feel this and then I do this. And like everybody's behavior or let's say maladaptive behavior that they're looking to change has a certain shape to it. I do mm-hmm. this, this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens. And, you know, the more momentum you have behind it, the 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 greater that Grand Canyon is. And yeah, and hypnosis is exactly what you described. Like, how do we just learn to then make new associations with that so that there are other options as opposed to just like doing the habituated response over and over and over again. And just like anything else, when you stop learning your language, when you stop practicing your instrument, like it's still there, but it gets vaguer and vaguer and vaguer. And then you're like, how do I do that? What is it? Mm -hmm. And then it eventually like, I mean, we see in brain scans and stuff like, you know, like neural connections, like shrink, you Mm -hmm. know, it's very physical as well as non-physical mm. um, yeah it's like 
what you also do with hypnosis, a little bit of movement of the mind, right? Oh, for sure. It's like, yeah. it's a whole nother level of movement. Yeah. How to like redirect those patterns for people to move differently for in sure. their life. For sure. Oh, so good. Uh, so I actually like to wrap things up here. Yeah. This has been so enlightening. I'm like super stoked on all the stuff we talked about. <laughs> um, but I always like to leave off with this, uh, these kind of words of wisdom for our audience here. Uh, anything that you would offer to people as something they can walk away with tangibly to uh, connect with and work on within themselves in order to facilitate a more positive movement experience, mm. whatever facet of that you'd like to oh, yeah. tackle. Um, I know there's many. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, huh. I think where I'm at with that now, um, that, th that I think is the most universal for me in my experience in terms of like what is propelling me forward in my growth that I think um, has been the refining of a lot of, you know, trial and error for me is, um, is I'm just, you just peel away layers and layers of just not faking it anymore, you know? Mm. And I just started, uh, it's taken me some time, but I just started trying to be as ruthlessly honest just with myself about how I feel about everything. You know, that first moment of like, oh, I don't want to do whatever so-and-so suggested or like, I don't like it when so-and-so, and then either maybe we feel bad about it mm. or we don't. And I'm, and what it started out as like, you don't even have to act on it, but just recognizing like, you know, just like how we said, you know, earlier in the talk, like, you know, immediately what somebody's like when you hear their voice, you know, whether you mm -hmm. believe them or not. Mm -hmm. And when somebody touches you, you know, like where they're coming from or not. The same way, you know, inside of yourself, whether or not you're faking it or not, or you feel what you know what you feel. You don't have to tell the whole narrative and story of what you have to do about it or anything like that. But just that first moment of when something comes in and you have that response, which is either, you know, again, it doesn't have to be all like, what don't you like about mm -hmm, your life? Mm -hmm. But also the other thing too, of like, what really, you know, makes you want to lean in and step forward. Mm -hmm. And I think that's become powerful for me because I've spent so much of my life denying those initial impulses for the sake of, you know, obligations to other people wanting to be the hero for somebody wanting to you know deny the things that i wanted or liked for the sake of somebody else because that's the right thing to do and while again you can still make that choice um because life is complicated and especially when you said when you have partners of all varieties like you have to make that work mm -hmm. but you just are watching yourself you know it's like okay like you know I did that thing, yeah. you know, I went against what I felt mm -hmm. in a way that was acceptable to me. Um, and I recognize that and I did that. But where I think we get in the biggest trouble is like doing that repeatedly over and over and over again. And then acting surprised when we end it, when we end up somewhere yeah. and it's like, uh, and then you, and like you said earlier, you look back and you're like, God, I knew better. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I knew better. And so anyway, the, the practical result of that, I think is just, um, the first step is just being like, can I look in the mirror at three o'clock in the morning when nobody's watching and just be like this is how i feel about x y or z this is what it is and nobody has to know you don't actually have to do this but like <laughs> if it's helpful go for it you know get down with your bad self whatever yeah but like just being like could i say x y z to myself and know that i'm not faking it the same way that i look out into the world and be like mm, he she is faking it you know what i mean mm. um could i look at myself and be like yes i can choose whatever the topic is yes my feeling is this and just believe yourself and then you just, and that grows with momentum over time, I think. Mm. Um, and that I don't think really can go wrong for you. Yeah. I love that. I, we, we've talked about this before, but um, I think that's such sage advice. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much yeah, for sharing course, that, Matt. Well, this has been an amazing hour with you here <laughs> today. We, we always have such great conversations. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have a few more uh, that are recorded for our listeners as cool. well. But um, for anybody who wants to get in contact with you, who's interested in your services and what you have to offer the world, where can we find you? Where can people get in touch with you and communicate oh, sure. with you? Um, I mean, my website is just MatthewTolstoy.com. Uh, it's Matthew with two Ts. Um, you find me on Instagram at Matt Tolstoy. Um, again, two Ts. 
or I guess three, because then Tolstoy. Yes. So it's three in the <laughs> three. middle. It's a little confusing. But um, yeah, those are probably the two best ways. And then my website has, you know, the contact info and everything from there. Perfect. Cool. Thank you so hey, much. Hey, thank you so much. This was really cool. Oh, this was really great. Cool. I loved it. Yeah. Yay. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode on this thing called movement. I'm your host, Marie Janicek. And if you're interested in connecting with me directly, you can find me on Facebook under the name Marie Janicek and on Instagram at Marie Janicek. If you enjoyed this episode, Don't forget to leave us a review and make sure to share with your friends and family. In the meantime, I can't wait to connect with you all next week when we bring on our next guest. Until then, make sure to get out there and move.